Good morning once again. My name is Dick Derover. I'm um, one of the elders at Rolling Hills, and we'd like to give you an update on the elder board, the rotation. If you, you may or may not know, but the elders serve a term of uh, three years in principle. And so every year, uh, typically at the beginning of the year, some elders rotate off and then some new elders rotate on. And uh, so uh, this year, uh, the elders that are rotating off are uh, Dave Newbor and Daniel Haley, who is uh, Joyce's husband. Uh, we're so grateful for you know, what they have done and what they... Um, uh, did I say something wrong? No. <laughs> um, we're so grateful for what these men have brought in the past years, and, uh, and so we want to thank them for that. Um, and then this year, Rick Tillman will be uh, joining us uh, on the Elder Board, and uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to invite all the elders up here so you know uh, who they are. So I just want to go um, introduce them real quick. This is Don Carter. Oh. I'm Faith's husband. <laughs> uh, we're so grateful to have Don on the board. <laughs> he and Rob, uh, Rob Marvin, um, uh, joined last year, so we're grateful for these men. Then we have Chuck Easterly, known face in the community, Matt Nolan, and then from staff we have Mark Huchet and, uh, and Bill Town, our lead pastor, is also uh, part of the elder board. And there's a couple guys, Mike Garrison and uh, Troy Far Farwell, who couldn't be here uh, today. Uh, so we're grateful for all these guys, and I want to pray for Rick. So. And if you feel comfortable, just uh, maybe you lift a hand up to Rick. It's, um, uh, the elders are, um, a lot of the things that are happening behind the scenes. It's, uh, they, they provide the governance of the church and spirit, protecting the spiritual health of the congregation, they come alongside staff, and so on. So uh, it's a heavy task, but a lot of it is behind the scenes. So I want to lift up Rick today and his wife, Nancy, as well. So Father God, we, uh, we lift up uh, Rick before you. Father, we pray. Um, we're so grateful, first and foremost, that uh, Rick is willing to come back on the board. Uh, Father God, we uh, were uh, thanking you for that. We want to acknowledge that you, Lord, are, uh, Lord Jesus, you are the chief shepherd of this church. And you've called us into roles just to uh, help you shepherd that church. And so, Father God, we, um, we lift up Rick and ask for your protection over him. We also trust that you will speak through him, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Father, I'm grateful for all the men here on stage. Thank you for uh, calling us into this position. Guide us, Lord, humbly, and guide us through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Tim. All right. The, uh, the elders who aren't on staff, they're my boss. And so um, I have great bosses really make ministry um, that much more enjoyable when you get to do it with people who um, you really love and respect. Um, next week, we're going to have the search team for the lead pastor transition um, up here and introduce them to you so you can know who's been um, working behind the scenes and they're in the process and we'll give you an update on that um, process as well. Now, man, I'm glad to see you here. I hope you've made it okay through crazy week. Um, for me, it was like I was having flashbacks to, I don't know if you remember this or not, but not too long ago, we had a pandemic where you had to shelter in place and you lived life on Zoom. And man, that was week, this week for me. And, and uh, man, I'm glad that that's not normal. But um, thanks for being here. And I do pray that 
man, that the damage, if damage happened to your home, you have a tree right now laying on your home, and I'm just praying that, uh, man, insurance stuffs up and, and it goes as smoothly as possible and you're managing with uh, the trauma of all that. Um, I know we've had several people fall this week and break bones who are part of our family, our faith family, and, and so praying for, for them as well to find healing and then as they're waiting for surgery, getting behind the other 100,000 people who fo- fell and bro- broke bones this week, but that they're, uh, they're comfortable and have patience in the process. Um, we started two weeks ago a series called, just for the month of January, What We Believe, and we started with the Bible, and um, that is a big topic. And so just for that Sunday morning, we said, okay, do we have evidence that this Bible is historically reliable or is it a fable, uh, you know, just a collection of, of um, uh, you know, fictional stories that, you know, have points to them. And so we just looked at, is there evidence for the historicity of the Bible? So if, if that's of interest to you and you weren't here two weeks ago, go back and, and watch that. Um, next week, uh, we're going to look at the end of human history, and what does God say about it, and how's that going to look, and what does that mean to us in our lives, and, and well, how is that helpful or not helpful for us to know about that? And then today, um, Kathy asked me, beginning of the week, hey, what are you teaching on this week? And I just, God. He's like, oh, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Just God. And uh, so we're just going to connect to a couple thoughts about God, and hopefully connect them to why that should make a, a huge difference in our lives. Now, in our country and in the world, still, you know, most people would say, yeah, I believe in God. And, you know, they probably have different things in mind while they're saying that. But in our country, especially, um, you would hear somebody says, yes, I believe in God. And, um, I don't like to think about God as this, but I prefer to think about God as that. And that doesn't sound too uncommon for us, but I want to challenge that a little bit because that is, um, I think at the core of that is really some messed up thinking. Uh, You know, we, we don't treat God with respect when we approach him that way. And just to give you a simple illustration of that is, you know, this week, um, you know, Kathy was in Southern California. I was, you know, I, I wasn't bitter about that. But um, <laughs> she was in Southern California, pretty much missed, you know, the hell that we went through. But uh, came back last night, you know, welcome home, everything's thawed. Um, uh, but this week, all week long, I was thinking, wouldn't it be incredible tomorrow if it was 80 degrees and sunny? I would just run out in my shorts and flip-flops and just, you know, I'd be like Snoopy, you know, just doing the happy dance. And that would just be so awesome. That would, I would, that's my preferred uh, view of the weather. But then at night, I would look at the forecast. In the morning, I'd get up and I'd see what it was. And instead of shorts and flip-flops, I was, you know, parka and boots. And um, why? Because I realized I had to deal with reality. I had to deal with what the weather really was, not what I hoped it would be. And in that sense, if you believe in God, then he is at least as real as the weather. And for us to approach God 
lesser than we would the weather. Like approach God with the idea that we can mold you into what we want you to be. And, and we can transform you for my benefit and, and we can modify or even create you. I mean, what a disrespectful frame of mind to God. And so, you know, I, we say these things flippantly and we, and we kind of, uh, you know, I think the number one problem we have with um, believing in God is not, uh, you know, our intellectual arguments. It, it's the idea that if there really is God, then that would probably impact the way I live. And we don't want to go there. And so a good option is to say, okay, I believe in God, got that covered, but I'm making him this way, which probably means he's, he likes me. And he, he's okay with the way I'm choosing to live and the things I'm, willing to, I'm choosing to go after. And so as we, we enter into this, um, I want to do it with the respect of saying, God, who do you say you are? Who are, who are you really? And we're just going to look at just a couple of things to kind of stimulate our thinking, but also our hearts. And um, what does that mean for our understanding of God in our lives in light of who he is? So Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Um, it is kind of a famous passage. It's Paul talking to the Romans and saying, um, let me tell you some just foundational truth about God. And so we're going to start right there. It says in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Well, who's them? Um, all humanity. Okay. And so Paul is saying God can be known. And in fact, it's not a huge mystery that you can have some understanding of who he is because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are all humanities without excuse because we, we can just look at the complexity of the world in our universe and just marvel at its complexity, and if you tweak it at all, it falls apart. Or you tweak DNA at all, and the language of DNA, it, it doesn't uh, modify humanity. It, it actually kills life. And, and so it's like this, there's just this complex world and universe and bodies that we're living in that are brilliantly put together, and they hang together in un a unique way in order to support um, this life. And so God is communicating a lot about himself just by looking around. And, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Stephen Meyer up in Seattle, I forget the name of the institution, uh, has some really some interesting thoughts about this. In fact, um, recently he was um, on Joe Rogan's podcast and really interesting conversation um, with him. But Stephen, I think it's Stephen C. Meyer, if you want to uh, just scrape your thoughts with the Milky Way a little bit. And, uh, uh, and, but just look at the complexity of our world and even our own bodies and how they point to um, an intelligent design and how that just gives us insight into our creator. All right, so what that's telling us, one of the things it's telling us right out of the gate is that God wants to be known and experienced. And so that, that's a big... That's a big thing, a big thought. 
Uh, he's, not, he's not thinking, hey, you know, I'm here, I'm real, uh, you know, find me if you can. No, he's saying, I am actually making myself known to you in many different ways. Generally, with this creation, I'm communicating to you a lot about myself with creation. But I'm also specifically wanting you to know me in, in by revealing himself in things like the Bible, Jesus Christ. And, and we can get to know more specifically about who God is and what he's doing. And so God wants to be known and he wants to be experienced. God wants to be known and experienced. And both of those things are important. And we'll talk to you um, as we go through this about that. Now, one of the classic passages in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about what can we learn about God and what is he revealing to us about himself is in Exodus chapter 3. And just to you know, jog your memory if you're familiar with this or if that's a new passage to you, it's where Moses having spent 40 years in Egypt as a privileged person growing up in the house of Pharaoh, then in a fit of anger, committing murder, and then he's on the run as a fugitive. And so then he's living 40 years out in the Sinai Peninsula um, in the desert as a shepherd working for his father-in-law, okay? So this is Moses, that's where he's at. And God chooses to, in a unique supernatural way, um, reveal himself to Moses, not only revealing himself and who he is, but also what is his plan for Moses. And so that is in Exodus chapter three. And we'll just look at verse two here to start off with. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so right out of the gate, we're learning something about God. God is communicating something about himself to Moses. And that is him creating a fire and communicating to Moses is not dependent upon does he have the resources around to make this happen. He's not dependent on things outside of himself. He is, he's presenting himself as a fire to Moses. So Moses recognizes he's real. He's speaking to Moses and yet nothing's being consumed. And so he's saying something about who he is. He's like, I, I can cause things to happen without having the material resources to make it happen. I, I can do things that can't be done in this natural world and these natural laws. Because I created, I work outside of those things. I can use those things, but I can also work outside of those things. And so then he tells Moses, okay, your people, the children of Israel, are in Egypt and they're enslaved. And I am calling you to step into that and to lead my people out of that enslavement into the promised land. And Moses is going, uh, do you see where I am? Do you see what importance I have? Why would anybody listen to me, the children of Israel or Pharaoh? Um, I don't think you got the right guy. And so he goes on in verse 13 and says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, which is interesting because he didn't say our fathers. He's saying, okay, I believe in God, but he's the God of the past. All right. And so he says, has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is your name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
Okay, he uses the Hebrew to be verb, I am. And he's communicating to Moses something specific about, you need to know something specific about me. Because I think up to this point, Moses believed in the idea of God, believed in God. It was an intellectual experience, but it wasn't a personal experience. And God says, I am the God of Israel, but I also am God now, I am, and I will be. I have always existed. And like this fire that you see before you, there is nothing outside of myself that I need to depend on in order to be who I am. I am self-existent. Um, I am relying on nothing else. I do, I do not need resources. I am the source. All right, so right, right there, he's answering one of the, the biggest um, problems we have and understanding the origins of this wor- world is that you know matter is finite. As far as we understand that in the laws of nature, matter is finite. It eventually ends, it eventually goes away, it eventually dies. And, um, and so how did this all begin? Um, if matter is finite, which means it has a beginning, there, there's a cause, there's a cause and then the effect. And so we have to go to a cause to the beginning, okay? And so then that's where, you know, atheist scientists would say, okay, well, if you say God is the cause, then who created God? And um, we'd say, well, uh, God always existed. And God's answering that question right here. I, I am who I am. Um, there is nothing that created me. I am the uncaused cause, and then they say, well, you know, that's, that takes faith. You're believing in a miracle. You're believing that something outside normal, um, you know, normal natural laws, you know, happened. And we say, yeah, we, we do. We, we, we believe in a, a God who was the cause in the beginning. And you say, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe that uh, maybe there, were, there was originally some matter that was eternal that caused all these things that we see today. And so you'd say, well, that violates our laws of science, right? And you'd, and you'd say, well, yeah. And so, so you're believing in a miracle. You're believing something supernatural happened. Well, it was still matter, but yeah, but you can't explain that matter where it came from. Well, okay, I believe that matter came out of nothing. Well, that's really a miracle. You know, and, and so there, there's a point of faith as far as origin, and, and God is really addressing it right out of the gate, saying that I am the uncaused cause. Um, nothing caused me, I caused creation. And I depend upon nothing outside of myself. I always am, I always was. You know, God in three person, in relationship, in the Godhead, for eternity past. I mean, you think about that too much, your brain starts hurting because it is just a, a concept that's really beyond my ability to fully grasp. And yet, this is what God is, is revealing of himself um, to Moses. Now, why is that important? You know, common thing that, you know, the I am verb, that, that's Yahweh. You've probably heard that Hebrew word, which literally means I am who I am, okay? Why is that important to you and I? 
here's why it's important, because you and I fixate our hope on resources. And God's saying, I don't need resources. I'm the source. And yet our lives can be ruined and how we see and our perspective on our life and our value of our life and our hope and our joy can be dictated upon how we see resources come in or out of our lives. Um, I can't lose my job. If I lose my job, I have no income. And the very things that my family is relying upon and the standard of living in which we are we um, really believe we need to have in order to do the things that we want to do to bring joy and happiness in life. Um, if, if that goes away, man, I, I don't know what I'd do. So what are we doing right there? We, we, we're worshiping our job. We're worshiping our income. We're worshiping our resource. Um, if, if this good friend that I have, we, we just went through a, a, a difficult time in, in our relationship and if they do not respond the way I hope they respond, man, I just don't know what I'd do if I lost this friend. I mean, my life and the joy and the hope and how I see my life in the future, um, that whole plan is messed up if this relationship goes south. What are we doing? We're worshiping a resource. We're worshiping a relationship. Okay, um, you know, so many times we just place our hope on a resource thinking that it's gonna answer the deep needs of our soul. And God is saying, it will never do that. Put your hope in me, the source. Because when you're thinking, this is my only hope for this resource to turn out this way, that's my hope. That's the only thing I have, um, that's the only thing I can see. Well, you know what? That's not the only thing God can see. You know, it's like saying, hey, uh, you know, Fred Meyer this week, was closed because of the ice. Well, I don't think that's true, but let's just say it was. Um, but that's where I buy groceries, and it was closed. I'm going to starve. As I drive by Safeway and Albertsons and all in Costco and all these other places that have groceries available to me, but my hope is in Fred Myers, and that's how I think God looks at us when we are fixated on the resources in our lives, and just, that is what I see. That's not what God's, God sees so much more. Because he's the generator of resources. His opportunities are unending because he's dependent upon nothing outside himself. It's a crazy thought, and yet it's a life-changing thought if we begin growing in our hope in God as our source. Changes the way we see life. Changes anxiety level. It changes um, placing my preferred option is not my only option and it is not my hope. But my hope is in the source. My hope is in God. All right. So, um, so that is freeing. Um, but as Romans talks about this, as Exodus talks about this, it talks about God and he wants to be known. He's not just talking about an intellectual um, exercise here. When, when God came to Moses, he came to him as a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And so Moses there is learning intellectually things about God, but he's seeing light. He's feeling heat. He, I, I mean, I wonder what he's hearing. 
you know, a fire that's not consuming. I wonder what he's smelling. Moses, for the rest of his life, will look back at that, not like, oh, interesting. He will look back and his senses will have been totally engaged as he was learning about God and experiencing him. And God's saying, that's what I want for each one of us. I want you to know and experience me. I mean, how many times have I heard in people's lives that said, you know, I've heard about Jesus all, you know, most of my life. I've heard about God. I do believe in him. I, I was okay with the idea of him dying for the sins of the world because we need to be forgiven because we're kind of selfish and we tend to trust ourselves more than we trust God. And what an offense that would be to God of the universe. And so I get that. But... Um, you know, it didn't change my life until I realized God died for me. I mean, it, it changed from an idea that I could accept and then all of a sudden it became transformational when it became personal. When I started realizing, you know, the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God isn't extended to humanity, which it is, but is extended to me. God did this for me. You allow that to sink into your heart. That, that really changes how you see God. How you're thankful for what he, who he is and what he's done. And how it begins changing your life. And that's what God is saying. He, he's, he's saying, I want you to know and experience me. Um, he not only wants that, but he says, you need that. You need that. Second Peter chapter 1. Starting with verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, right there. I mean, does your heart long to receive things that you don't deserve? Um, be loved, to be, to, to be forgiven, to have peace in your soul. Is it possible to live in this world and live with a like abiding sense of peace where you're not wound into a knot? Can your soul have rest? Can it have joy? I mean, if we, we cut through all the resources, well, we, we're, we're hoping in them because we want these things in us, right? I, I, I want to know my life has meaning and significance. I want to know my, my life has a difference. I want to know that I was born for a reason. I want to know that I can be secure outside of performing for people to get people to acknowledge and like me. I mean, these things I want to know, and God is saying, and Peter's saying here in 2 Peter 1, those internal needs that all humanity feels and is running after I pray that they're not added into your life. I pray that they're multiplied. I pray that exponentially they grow in you and become bigger and bigger and bigger in your experience of life. It's like, wow. Yeah, now we're getting to some significant core issues that we all want. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Okay, so that is linked to my understanding of God. This thing growing within me that I want to grow within me grows as a byproduct of my relationship with God, knowing and experiencing God. 
um, chapter, or verse 3, 2 Peter 1, maybe one of my uh, favorite verses in all the Bible because it's just so hope-filled. Verse 3, his divine power, who he is, all of his attributes, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means everything that God created you to be, he enables you to become. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter's saying if you place your faith in God and what he's done for you, then this supernatural thing happens. He says he comes into your life. He resides in you into where part of who he is becomes more and more part of who you are. And over time, you can experience the peace of God. Rest, purpose, meaning, joy. It comes from God in you. Everything he created you to be, he can begin transforming you to become. And all those things that we want, um, those internal things that we want to satisfy our soul are a byproduct of knowing him. If we do not connect to this and we don't tap into who he is and who he is and what he's done for us personally, then we will chase other things for the rest of our life, trying to fill, fulfill those inner things that we are created with to want to have purpose and meaning and, and rest and joy in our life. And we'll chase other things and it'll be an endless chase and it'll be endlessly fu- unfulfilling. And it will be destru- it'll be destructive to us because actually the things we're placing our hopes in, the resources to provide this depth of peace, those resources will not deliver in this time and time again. We'll be chasing something that we may get and it may feel rewarding and we may feel good about ourselves for a time, but then it's just going to be exposed as ultimately unfulfilling to my soul. And God's saying, you were created to know me. Press into me. Now, um, I've had three children and, and um, eight grandchildren. And so, uh, you know, at times I've been called, you know, not super sensitive to things. And, uh, but here's something that I've been sensitive to. I've observed this in my experience of having children and seeing children being born who are grandchildren. Not one of them was born as an adult. I know, I, there you go. That's all you needed to hear today, you know. But um, they had the stuff of being an adult in them. I mean, you know, it was, you know, their, their DNA was written. The script is there. But you know what? It took time. It's taking time for them to grow up <clears throat> to being the mature person, <clears throat> excuse me, that God created them to be. And that's you and me. That is us in our spiritual journey as God, with God, is we get to know him and we begin growing and it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. And what Peter's telling us here is that take it seriously. Your investment in knowing God and understanding and experiencing, 
<coughs> excuse me, who he is and what he's done for you. And you know what's going to happen? Transformation is going to happen. You'll begin growing up into the person he created you to be. All right, another passage, Deuteronomy chapter 4, very beginning of the Bible, first few books of the Bible, verse 9. And um, this is God communicating, and he's talking to his people who know him and believe in him. And this is what he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently. So take this seriously. Take this journey with me seriously. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them know to your, to your children, your children's children. He's saying, you, you, you've seen me. I've revealed myself to you. You've seen me do amazing things. You've seen me um, bring plagues on Egypt. You've seen me supernaturally um, change Pharaoh's mind to let you go. You've seen me part waters. You, you, you've seen um, my power and my care for you. You've seen it and you've experienced it. And what you cannot become flippant about is just to allow that experience and knowledge of who I am to become just a thought about the past. Protect what you know and what you've experienced and who I am and what I've done. Protect that. God is the source of these things, and you've seen him at work and protect it. Because if you don't, fear comes. All of our fears come from forgetting who God is and what he's done for us and, and getting disconnected from um, the reality of experiencing him in your life. And as soon as we do that, you know what we do? We become fearful because we then start going back to the resources, don't we? And hoping in the resources. Um, if inflation continues... How are we going to deal with this? This is so out of my control, and yet I may be financially ruined. And my security and safety and those things that I, I connect to that um, is, is, I mean, what's going to happen? Uh, here, here, this, this will, this will uh, stir your heart. It's an election year. It's an election year. Um, we are to be fully engaged in the election process. We are to be um, engaged with our brains and how to and, and allow our Holy, the Holy Spirit within us to guide us in what is best for the country. But what if your guy is not elected or your woman is not elected? What if the wrong person is elected? Uh, is your hope gone? And we can get there pretty fast. And it's only going to ramp up, isn't it, into the election. And so many people, man, my hope is in a resource. This candidate, this platform. And God's saying, take that seriously, but your hope is in the source, not the resource. What if I lose my health this year? What, what if... Um, Maybe you're single and you're thinking, what if I get married this year, but it's to the wrong person? What would that do for the rest of my lives? And then I have kids with this person. And so now I'm married to the wrong person. I've got the wrong kids. I mean, <clears throat> we can just start thinking and going down these 
anxiety-filled scenarios, and, and they call them ants. And this is, man, this is what I do all the time. Automatic negative thoughts. You know, I'm, I'm given one negative thought about a potential circumstance or a reality, this thing went bad. But that doesn't stop for me. I go to the next 40,000 dominoes. And, and you can just go down this negative line. What, what is, I'm fixating on a source that didn't arrive like I thought it should. And God's saying, hey, um, I'm the source. Trust me. Trust me in good times. Trust me in, in when life sucks. Trust me, I'm good. I'm good. I know you. I love you. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done, not only in your head, but what you've experienced in your heart as a result of who I am. Can you trust God? Thank you, buddy. Uh, Mark Houchet. <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay, one, in going back to Exodus chapter three, th there's one thing that's interesting about that. If, if you know about God and his dealings with people in the, in the Old Testament, he's told people, like, like Moses said, would you fully expose yourself to me? Would, would I see your glory? And God says, well, I could, but you'd die. You, you can't withstand my glory. My holiness and righteousness would overwhelm and crush a finite sinful being. And so how did he come to him? Well, in Exodus chapter three and verse two, the, the verse that we read, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses as a fire. An angel of the Lord. So I said, but he said his name was Yahweh. So was he an angel or was he the Lord? And, uh, well, yes. And so let me explain. Angel of the Lord. Um, I mean, when God came down to Mount Sinai on the mountain and, uh, and God came to the children of Israel after, after Moses came to them and they made idols and um, just obviously sinful, untrusting people, you know, like we all are. Trust myself more than I trust God so many times. So wrong, so foolish to say, and yet it's reality of my experience. Um, God, if he was going to be with them fully, would kill them by his presence. So he says, I'm sending an angel of the Lord. Now, every other place in the Bible, when an angel is sent, an angel speaks for God. But the angel of the Lord is unique in that it speaks as God. So this angel of the Lord is fully God, is not lacking any of the, the divine attributes of God, and yet is in a mode of God in which he can deal with sinful people and be in the presence of sinful people. Who's like that? God the Son, Jesus Christ. God takes on flesh still has all of his divinity and yet it is cloaked in humanity 
God in the flesh. We just celebrated it at Christmas. Why did he come? So we could be with sinful humanity and let people know that he loves them and he's pursuing him. And so that ultimately on the cross, he could be crushed by the righteousness and justice of God, God the Father, so that you and I wouldn't have to be and yet still be allowed to enter into the presence of God. Exodus chapter three, that's a pre-incarnate Jesus meeting with Moses. That is, that is Jesus before he took on flesh. Why? Because ultimately he would be crushed for the sins of the world so that we can have access to God the Father. That's the goodness of God the loftiness of God, the greatness of God, and yet the personal care and attention to each one of us where he pursues us and wants to be known by us so that we can know him, embrace him, and trust him with our lives. That's our God. Can you trust him? Yeah, he's good. You know, there is one thing God can't do. He's dependent upon nothing outside himself, but you know what he can't do? He can't act contrary to his nature. He'll never be deceiving. He will never lie. He will never um, just act out of hateful vengeance. He will never do something unintelligent. He will never act out of hate or spite. God's good, and we can trust him. Let's bow our heads. And maybe in this um, time with God, you've been challenged with the fact that your trust has been in his resource and not in him as source. And this could be a time to just um, repent of that. Just say, I I'm turning away from that. God, help me to um, be mindful of you and to embrace you and cling to you, who you are and what you've done. Instead of, potential stuff you can use in my life. And then for those of you who are thinking, you know, I have seen God and believed in him, but it has not been personal. Um, let's make this today the day that you receive his love and forgiveness because he died for you and he loves you and he's pursuing you. You can talk to God and just say, God, I thank you. I, I do recognize you're pursuing me. I do recognize you're revealing yourself to me. And I want to submit to you as God. And I want to ask your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And now, God, would you, would you begin uh, making me into the person you created me to be? as I continued on this journey of knowing you and experiencing you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And Father, I pray for each person here, wherever they're at in their journey, um, you would love to meet them wherever they're at and walk with them as they get to know you. Father, would you knock down barriers? Would you, knock, would you um, give people courage 
to engage in this process in a way that they normally would feel uncomfortable about. And to bless them for each step of, of faith they take when they trust you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. You, you know, in, in, uh, the reality is in our journeys, we, we like to do that private, we like to be alone, we like to process, um, or just do it with people that we know um, who, who are safe. Um, you know why the church is here, why the church exists? God says the church exists so we, we can uh, do that together. We don't have to do that alone. But maybe there's people who are farther along in the journey and uh, they, they can actually help you because they, they've been where you're at. And so, um, you know, a challenge I have for you is, is if you are on this journey, you know it and you want to grow in it and, and you don't have somebody that you know will help you on that, then let us know. We, we want to be that. And so what you can do as soon as we're done, there's, there's some nice, nice people out there by, on the, um, in the center and it says next steps and just go there and say, hey, I'm on a journey and I need to just process my thoughts, what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking it. And uh, is there somebody who can just listen and, uh, and pray? We'd love to do that with you. Maybe you just made this decision. It's like, yeah, God is real and I am learning about him and I'm placing my, my trust in him then, uh, man, we want to walk with you wherever you're at in that journey. We want to walk with you um, in that. And so you can go to that same next steps counter and let them know that you did that. Man, we'll, instantly we'll get you some information in your hands that'll help you process um, your journey and how to grow in knowing God and experiencing him. If you're online, uh, let us know. Uh, if, if you're recognizing that journey and you want some more help, uh, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and let us know and we'll get that information to you. Um, and if you want to, I mean, we'll set up a phone call, a Zoom call, or meet you for coffee if you're in the area. And we'd love to uh, continue that journey with you. Uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, we, we get to learn more about God as we sing and as we connect to the truth of these, uh, of these songs that contain um, just significant truths about God and our relationship to him. So let's continue our worship as we sing.